Brothers and sisters, if you are going to buy a new smartphone and that smartphone had every feature that you were looking for and that you wanted except for a front-facing camera, would you buy it? Some of the, maybe the older generation is like, I could care less whether there's a camera on my phone or not. And some of the younger generation may be like, why would I buy a phone without a camera so that I could take selfies, right? Uh, I'm not sure who the company is that created or made the first uh, smartphone that had the front-facing camera on it. Uh, but one thing is for sure that they were on to something. Because we will take a selfie in a heartbeat. We will take a selfie in the car. We will take a selfie in the bathroom. We will take a selfie on the job. We will take a selfie uh, just about anywhere. I've seen selfies in the hospitals. Even people take selfies at funerals. I saw one post of a, of a young, young lady. She, had, she was at a funeral. She posted a picture in and she said, love my hair, hate while I'm, while I'm dressed, or why I'm dressed. And she put funeral at the end of it. And we, I think that just truly reflects the time that, that we're in, the time of the, the selfie. And while, uh, while taking pictures or taking selfies of one is not inherently wrong, I think it does reflect a natural tendency that we all have to selfishly focus on self. If we're honest with ourselves, we can live life stuck on ourselves. And we don't need a front-facing camera to tell us that. We can just kind of go throughout our day and just consider all of the things that we think about that just only concern us. Uh, will you do this for me? No. Why not? Because I don't feel like it. Did you do this? No. Why not? Because I didn't want to. How does this benefit me? Does this make me happy? What am I getting out of it? We see a lot of times our life is just centered around me, myself, and I. The truth of the matter is, selfies didn't start with the front-facing camera. Uh, it actually started back in the Garden of Eden when Eve decided to live for self, and Adam decided to live for self. Uh, so we see this selfie is not something that's new. But the good news is, Jesus Christ, with the good news of him dying on the cross for our sins, frees us from a life lived for ourselves. That's what a selfie is. Selfie is someone who lives primarily for the benefit of self. That's a selfie. But Christ frees us from the life of self. He frees us and saves us so that we no longer just live for ourselves, but we live for the one who created us, the one who created us and saved us for his glory. And when he frees us from self, he, it, it allows us to be used by him for the glory of, of him and to benefit other people other than ourselves. Today I want to talk to you from the message Living for more than self. Living for more than self. And from the message, I pray that, that you will walk away and you will allow Christ to use you 
for the benefit of others. I pray that you will walk away again and that you will allow Christ to use you, that you would surrender your life to Christ in such a way that you allow Christ to use you, not for the benefit of yourself, but for the benefit of others. And I think we'll see that in the message that we're going to to look at today. If you would, uh, open your your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, and we'll begin at verse 7. And if you would, as a custom stand in the reading of God's word, Colossians 4, verse 7, and it reads, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristocarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Herapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. We have here a letter. We just read a a passage from Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. And while Paul wrote this letter, he was in, in prison for the first time, what we believe in a Roman prison. And Paul is writing this, this letter. He, he, he writes this letter to the church in Colossae, and he, he's warning them in regards to false teaching, and he's also revealing to them just the, 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 the sovereignty the, and, and, and the superiority, the, the, the holiness, and who God is, who Jesus Christ is, and how they are to live in response to who Jesus Christ is. And he concludes, in the conclusion of, of this letter to the church in Colossae, Paul speaks and he, he reveals to us some names that may be not familiar to many of us. Uh, most of the names that were read out here uh, we're not familiar with, with, this, with the exception of maybe two, Luke and Mark. But the others were like, I don't know who these, these guys are. But I, want to, I just want to help you to see that these individuals were extremely important to the kingdom of God and to the growth of, of the church. But not only do we see that, we see how selfless these individuals were and how they lived their life on purpose for Jesus Christ. We see in this letter he reveals 
uh, these individuals. He reveals them. And, and just notice the adjectives that he uses to describe them. In verse 7, he, he starts out, he says uh, to Caicus, and he refers to them as beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. And then in verse 9, he refers to Onesimus, faithful, beloved brother. Verse 10, Aristocarchus, fellow prisoner. Verse 11, he refers to all of them as fellow workers. He says also that they are a comfort. Verse 12, he says that they are a servant of Christ Jesus. Luke, beloved physician. Can you see Paul as he, he's, as he speaks and he, and he gives their greetings to the church in Colossae? He also at the same time gives witness to their work and what they're doing to serve the kingdom. And ordinarily, when we see the conclusion of a letter, we may just ordinarily brush past it or not think much of it. But Paul is revealing to us, as we see these individuals, and he describes the work that they're doing, he helps us to see that we're to live life for more than self. And that we are to allow Christ to use us for the benefit of others, and that's exactly what these individuals were doing. You know, the thing that stands out I think is one of the questions you, that, that comes to you is, man, what would motivate these guys to, to, to give of themselves, to give of themselves completely as they did? We have to remind ourselves that when they were walking with Jesus Christ and, and, and the work that they were doing was not easy, they were living at a time in which Christians were persecuted heavily. They were called to give of themselves completely to God, to surrender all, to make sacrifices, and we see them doing that here. So what would make a man give up everything to endure persecution, to endure struggle, to not put their hope in the things of this world and to just to, to, to work or to live for the benefit of, the, of others? And that answer is plain and simple. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was their motivation. In verse 7, it talks about Tychicus, and it says that he's a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. It says, in the Lord. In the Lord. Jesus Christ was their motivation for giving of themselves to him so that they could be a blessing to others, so that they could benefit others. It, it may have been the fact that they, they were motivated by the fact that Christ was motivated to leave heaven, to step down off of his throne in heaven, and to, to become a man and put on the flesh like one of us through the virgin birth of Mary. Maybe they were, maybe they were motivated by the fact that, that Jesus Christ was motivated to obey the Father and to leave the place of pure holiness to dwell with a place of sinners. Or maybe they were motivated by the fact that Christ was motivated, that Christ went to the cross and bore his sins, our sins and their sins, on the, cross, on the cross. Maybe they were motivated by the fact that Jesus Christ was motivated to love them unconditionally, to love them with, with true grace and true mercy. Maybe they were motivated by the fact that Christ was motivated by his, his determination to win salvation for them. Maybe they were motivated by the fact that Christ was motivated in all that he did. Maybe they were motivated by the fact that Christ was motivated to serve them and not to be served. The fact that he is God himself, but yet he willingly gave of himself. Maybe they were motivated by that. I pray that you also are motivated 
by what Christ has done for you, if you, if you consider what Christ has done for you, the extent that Christ went through, the fact that he was chilling in heaven with God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and everything was good, he was in need of nothing, in need of no one, but yet he willingly obeyed the Father and revealed to us who the Father is and what the Father is like. That should be our motivation to serve Christ. That should be our motivation to live for something more than just ourselves. To get up out of the bed for someone more than just ourselves. To live for something greater than ourselves. But to, to present ourselves to allow Christ to use us for the benefit of others. That's what the call is. Christ is the motivation for your ministry. Christ is the motivation for your ministry, just as Christ was the motivation for the ministry of these individuals, Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristocharchus, Mark, Epaphras, all of these. They were, they were motivated by Christ, and that would, that's what fueled their, their, their ministry. They weren't, they, they weren't doing it because they, they wanted to be seen. They weren't doing it because it was morally good. They were doing it because God is good. They weren't doing it because they were getting something necessarily out of it outside of giving God glory and God praise. They weren't doing it because it was the, it was the good thing or the right thing to do. They were motivated by Christ. Christ is the motivation for our ministry. You say, what, what ministry? What, what is ministry? Ministry simply is the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in every believer for building up the body of Christ. That's what ministry is. Ministry is the work of the Holy Spirit in every believer for building up the body of Christ. Ministry is more than just an auxiliary. Ministry is more than just a department or group. Somebody say, I don't know what my ministry is. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to look to your neighbor on the left. Look to your neighbor on the left. Look to your neighbor on the right. Look to the person in back of you. Look to the person in front of you. That is your ministry. They are your ministry. They are your ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. I'm going to say, I don't have a ministry. Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 tells us differently. He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the, the evangelists, the, the pastors, the teachers. He says for what? To equip the saints. For what? For the work of ministry. For the work of ministry. And if that wasn't enough, he tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, before you were even born. Before you were even saved, he said he created you to be his poem, his workmanship, to do good works. This poema. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. So everyone, every person who has been saved by Jesus Christ, who has given their life, who has repented of their sins, and turned to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, every single Christian has a ministry. Every single Christian has a ministry. And it's more than just a specific auxiliary. 
It's good to be in the choir, but being in the choir is not your ministry. It's good to be an usher, but the ushering is not your ministry. You're doing it to build up the body, to build up the body, and and it's important for us to keep that in mind. And we do this again for what? Because Christ is our motivation, because of what Christ has done for us. When we consider how Christ served us, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, how he willingly served us by coming and living a life of, without sin. Not just physically, but not even thinking a thought of sin. He did that for you and for me. That should motivate us. Not only is Jesus Christ the motivation, but he's the means of our our ministry. For he, he equips us with the Holy Spirit. So that, that's what we just read, the definition, right? The, the ministry is the work of the Holy Spirit in every believer. So sometimes we may get discouraged because it's like when we look at individuals like these and it's, you know, we see Tychicus and we see them giving of themselves and, 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 and we struggle to live selflessly. We may be, get discouraged a bit, but Praise God, he gives us the Holy Spirit to equip us and to enable us to live a life for his glory, to do that which we can't do in and of our own selves. So we see Christ is the motivation for our ministry. Christ is the motivation for your ministry. Let your life be the example. Christ is your motivation. Let your life be the example. And that's what we see here in this passage, and we're going to spend most of our time on looking at the example of these specific disciples, these these believers in Christ Jesus. We're going to look at the example, and there's at least four things, at least four. You 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 can find more than that. But there are at least four things, four examples that they set before us on how we are to be used by Christ to benefit others. The first thing that we see is that you are to let your life be the example by serving one another. Let your life be the example of how to be used by Christ for the benefit of others by serving one another. Verse 7 through 9, we see Tychicus. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I mean, you can just stop there. Like, wow. He says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one in you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So Paul, who wrote the letter to the church in Colossae, he, he writes this letter. He's in Rome, in, 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 in prison, what we consider or think of as, as house arrest, actually. And he's in prison and he He writes this letter and he sends the letter by way of Tychicus and Onesimus. And it says that he sent them for two reasons. He sent them so that they may may know, they may be informed of how Paul is doing and how things are going. At the same time, he says that he sent them to encourage their hearts. Now, the fact that they were willingly giving themselves, they were servants and I think we, we, we underestimate this, what, they, what they did here. Tychicus and Onesimus, Rome is about 1,200 miles from Colossae. 
and they decided or they agreed to willingly take the letters from Colos, from, that were for the Colossians and also the letter, we believe, for Philemon. And they, they took that all the way from their journey to them so that they would be encouraged. So that, and and that, it, that speaks of, of us doing something that is beyond ourselves and to living for more than ourselves. They didn't say, can you get someone else to do it, Paul? But they presented themselves to do that. The, 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 the fact that they, the, the letter that we're reading now is what they delivered. What we're reading now is what they delivered. Their service still lives on, even though they're dead. Their service and what they did lives on, even though they're not here. And the fact that they deliver part of God's Bible, and that really speaks to the, to the passage, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? That is what they did. They brought good news to the church in Colossae. Is your service and what you're doing, will it live on beyond you? That's when we know that we're serving Christ because it lasts forever. It's eternal. It doesn't end. And that's what we see with Tychicus and Onesimus. They delivered what we are actually reading over 1,200 miles through water, through land, and other types of adversity and trials and tribulations they decided to give them themselves. Now, you don't do that unless Christ is your motivation. Days and days and days, weeks apart from home, away from home. You know, the name Tychicus means fortunate. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure that Paul considered himself fortunate to have someone like Tychicus to help him in the ministry. Paul is on house arrest. He can't go anywhere. But he, he desires strongly to, to reach the church in Colossae. And he, and, and, and he says, that, Tychicus, will you take these letters for me to them to encourage them? Paul is not even thinking of himself, and he's in prison. That's what it means to live selflessly, to live for more than self. And so we see Tychicus meaning fortunate, and Onesimus, ironically, it means useful. Onesimus was a runaway slave, ran away from Philemon. And by God's providence, he runs into Paul. And Paul shares the gospel with him, and he becomes saved, and he's a Christian now. And, he is, and Paul said in the, in the book of Philemon, he says that once he was useless to you, he says, but now he's useful to me and to you. Is there someone here who can declare that they are fortunate that you are in their life? And I'm talking about somebody outside of your family, because we can always find somebody in our family that's going to vouch for us. Is there someone else in the church? Can the church declare, I'm fortunate that you are in my life because you are a great help to me. When I needed you, you were there. When I called on you, you were there. Because of you, I'm a better person. Because of you, I'm grown closer to Jesus Christ. Because of you, I'm fortunate. If you weren't in my life, I don't know what I would have done. I'm glad that God brought you my way. Is there some people who can declare that you're useful. 
Can the church declare that you are useful? That when you need somebody, just call me and I'm there. Even before you call me, I'm there. Fortunate and useful. Fortunate and useful traveled on their way from Rome to Colossae. Are you fortunate and useful? That's what we should ask ourselves. Lord, am I useful? Am I useful to the body of Christ? Am I useful for more than someone than just my own family, those who mean the most to me, but more importantly, my Christian family, the kingdom of God? Am I serving you? Am I bringing glory to your name? Am I living for something more than just myself? Fortunate and useful. I I was able to to, uh, experience the blessing of being served in in an awesome way. Uh, Probably about a month ago, uh, I had to officiate uh, a wedding. I had the privilege of officiating a wedding. And then I remember the wedding was on a Friday. And come Wednesday evening, um, I was sitting there thinking, and this was, I don't know, it had to be probably 6 o'clock at night or something, 6 or 7, and, and I thought, man, I did not call anyone from the sound room to make sure that they're there at the wedding rehearsal, which is on that Thursday, and to the wedding on Friday. And so, you know, a little bit, you know, I started to, started to panic just a little bit, and I was like, man, I really, you know, I hate the, you know, Nepo, he might have to work. I don't, I don't know what's going on, so I tried to call Nepo, and and, and then I got his voicemail for a second, and, and then, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'll wait for Nepo to call back. And, and then, you know, I started to think, okay, well, I did what just about anybody in the church do when you're in a tight bind. You call Joe. That's what I did. Deacon Joe Todd. I'm putting him on blast. I don't know where Deke's at, but he's... I called Deacon Joe Todd, and, and I said, I said, Deke, I, I, you know, I, I think I may have kind of messed up. I, I forgot to arrange someone for the sound room for the wedding rehearsal that's tomorrow and the wedding that's on Friday. And I was like, can, would you be able to help out or whatever? And, and without skipping a beat, Joe's like, yeah, you know, would, I can, yeah, I'll be there. And he was like, I got to move around a few things or, or whatever, but that's, that's not a problem. We, we can do that. I mean, he, he could have said, why didn't you call me early? Or... I don't know, I got some things to do, I, can't, I really can't do it. I like to do it, but I can't do it. But he didn't do that. He said, without even skipping a beat, yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be there, I'll take care of it. And then, so, you know, I felt, I felt better at that point, but then that wasn't even the half of it, you know. A little bit later, a few minutes later, Nepo calls. And you know how, you know how Nepo can get, you know, hey, what's up, man? You know, and, and Nepo calls, and, and he, he says that he got a call from... Sister Janita or something, and, and he was like, I just want to make sure everything is, is everything good because, you know, I, I kind of heard you was look, you know, looking for sound room, but, but I, we've already planned it. We, we got it covered. I'm, I'm going to be there tomorrow on Thursday, and I'll be there on Friday. I was like, wow. I was like, he said, yeah, Sister Janita, she, you know, she, she already done took care of all of that, you know, because Sister Janita was working with the wedding party, right? And I didn't know that's something that they do. So I, was, I ran into Sister Janata and said, thank you for taking care of the, you know, getting the sound room and everything. She's like, oh, it's no problem. That's just what we do. That's just how we serve. But Joe was ready. He was the backup in case they, 
that it wasn't, but it was already there because we have so many people at Forest who are willing to serve and are ready to do it in a heartbeat. That's the type of heart, that's the type of transformation God is looking to do. And, and when God moves within the church to, to lead us to think more than just ourselves, man, the church is such a beautiful thing. When we give of ourselves for more than just the benefit of ourselves, but for God's glory, first and foremost, but that we would be able to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't do that without Christ being your motivation. And so praise God. And there are so many other people here who sacrificially give of themselves. I could spend all day, I think, up here just declaring how many uh, people willingly serve all the time here at Forbes. But if you're like me, you want to, regardless of where you're at, you want to continue to grow and you can always give more of yourself to the Lord. So we see that Tychicus and Onesimus, that's how they, that's how they went. They, 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 self, they, they gave of themselves to serve others. So they let their life be an example of how to be used by Christ by being a servant. And, and that's how we should, we should respond as well. And we do this because of the servant mentality of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We also see that you ought to let your life be the example of how to share one another's burdens. Let your life be an example of how to share one another's burdens. And we see this in verse 10 through 11 where it says, Aristocarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him and Jesus who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So Paul, as he sends the greeting from Aristocarchus, he even drops down in there. He says, Aristocarchus, my fellow prisoner, he greets you. Right? And he says that Mark and Justice also do the same, one who's also called Jesus, which was a very popular name at that time. And he says, these are the only men of the circumcision of my fellow co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. When he says of men of the circumcision, he's referring to those who are Jewish uh, Christians. And he says, these are the only ones who are of, of the Jewish, or Jewish Christians who, have, who, are, who are really our, my fellow workers at this time for the kingdom of God. And he says, they have been a comfort to me. But one thing that I want to zoom in on is Aristocarchus because it says that he's my fellow prisoner. Aristocarchus seemed to always be where there was trouble at. He was always with Paul whenever things were getting ugly. Have you ever had somebody in your life that whenever things were getting ugly or you needed someone and, and things weren't looking good, they were always there for you? That they didn't run or they didn't flee? Aristocarchus was there in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 where a riot broke out because a false report was given against the Christians and Paul and all the others. Aristocarchus was there with Paul, and they, it says that they drag, dragged him out into the theater. Just about lost his life. Now, for some of us, that would have been about, okay, that's about it. Um, I've done my service, and, and it's time for me to, to chill a little bit. But Aristocarchus, not only was he there at that point, 
he willingly went with Paul on a ship to Rome to the Roman uh, to Roman prison in Acts chapter uh, twenty seven, I believe it is, where he actually is on the ship with Paul, and the ship is just about destroyed in a storm, and they just about lose their life. There's at one point they're like it's hopeless. And Paul was like, if you guys had listened to me, I I told you what you should do. Aristocarchus was there with him. He wasn't there because he was a prisoner. He was there because he he was following Paul, a companion of Paul. And you need those people in your life. We should be that type. We're we're called to be that, that type of person in the life of others, to willingly give of ourselves. Aristocarchus and you need some, you heard that term, ride or die? Uh, Aristocarchus was ride or die. During a riot, a ship almost being destroyed. And what the amazing thing is, he says that he's my fellow prisoner, but we believe that, or it's said that Aristocarchus probably wasn't imprisoned by, by, by force, but by choice. That's the type of brother, sister, that we're to be. To share one another's burdens. To be there for one another whenever things get bad. To, to let them know that we're here for you. Aristocarchus didn't say, I'm going to pray for you, you have a safe travel. He didn't say, okay, I, I know that Ephesus, the situation, they got a God, Artemis or whatever, and, and you know, things can get ugly, so... I'm going to be praying for you while you're there. But he said, I'm going to join you. I'm going to put myself in harm's way. I'm going to share the burden that you're carrying as well. And how much of a blessing that was for Paul to have someone with him that could share his burdens with him. And that is what we're called to do as well. To live our life in such a way that we share the burden of one another. To help one another. There are a lot of people in force that are hurting, who are going through some things who are really struggling right now and their faith is maybe a little weak right now or maybe they're just in need of just some encouragement or whatever the case may be and it's good to just walk with someone to be able to say I'm walking with you I'm walking with you in your pain I'm walking with you in your hurt I'm walking with you in the faith and in your walk to grow in Christ Jesus because I know that you need me and I need you that's what God calls us to do not only do we see the beauty of Aristocarchus in him allowing himself to be used by Christ, but we also see Mark as well. This is the same Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark, but it's also the same Mark that betrayed Paul on this first missionary trip. It says that he deserted them or in some way to the point that where Mark and Barnabas, his cousin, got into an, a, a dispute or whether to take him on the second missionary trip such that Paul went his separate way and, and Barnabas went his. But now we see Mark here again in Colossians where apparently they have reconciled. And so Paul has, they, they, they give us an example of what it means to forgive and move on in ministry. To not continue to hold on to, to issues and things. It even to the point to where in 2 Timothy, when Paul is in prison again, prior to him getting ready to be executed, he has no one there with him. He's all alone. He says the only person who's there with him is Luke. And he tells Timothy, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says, when you come to him, he says, make sure you bring Mark as well, because he's very useful to me in the ministry. 
pray that that sinks into our soul and that we likewise are encouraged to say, okay, Lord, use me in that way. Help me to move beyond myself to where I just focus on myself, to where I can focus on others, my brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God and do what brings glory to you to build up the kingdom of God. And we build up the kingdom of God by building up one another, encouraging one another, and that's what we see taking place here amongst these individuals. Not only are we to let our lives be an example by sharing one another's burdens, we're also to let our lives be an example by fighting for one another. Now, I don't mean fisticuffs. We see here in verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in, the, in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Epaphras is fighting for those in Coloss, Colossae. He's fighting for them in prayer. That word struggle means wrestling and fighting. He's fighting for them in prayer. Are you, are we fighting for those who are struggling in prayer? Are we fighting in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Or when we go to prayer, is it all about me, myself, and I? Lord, I'm hurting. Help me. Lord, I need you. Lord, help me to grow. Lord, help me to see you more. Oh, by the way, bless sister so-and-so. Lord, help me. Keep me, Father God. Oh, by the way, touch so-and-so as well. Father, bless me. Epaphos, it says, was struggling. He was fighting for them. We fight the spiritual warfare on our knees, and, and Epaphos knew that very well. It's believed that Epaphos was the one who started the church in Colossae. In Ephesians chapter, not in Ephesians, Colossians chapter 1, it speaks of him and, it, and, it, and reveals to us that he is the one who started the church and he is the one who brought the report back to Paul in Rome to let them know of some things that were going on, some disturbing things, some false teaching that was taking place. And so Paul obviously was with Epaphras and, he, and, he, and he, what a great witness Paul is. He says, look, he says, he, he is a servant of Christ Jesus, first of all. And he says he, he, he's struggling on your behalf in his prayers. For what reason? He says that you may stand mature, for one. And secondly, be fully assured in the will of God. Praying that they would stand mature, that they would stand mature, perfect in, the will of, in, in, in their Lord, that they would grow to be mature and not be led astray by the false teaching that was prevalent during that time. He's also praying that they would uh, be assured of the will of God, that even under persecution and the things that may be taking place, that they would be assured that, that, that God is in control, that nothing is taking place that he hasn't already planned for. He's saying that, I pray that they will stand firm and that we need some people to pray like Epaphras. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help so-and-so grow in their faith, that they will grow to fear you above all, Lord God, that they will grow to give glory and honor to you, Lord God, that they will grow to be a man or a woman who reverences you, Lord God. Father God, help them to remain firm, to, to fight the good fight of faith, to not be swayed by the false teaching that's taking place. Lord God, keep their minds secure on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Help them, Father God, to put on the helmet of salvation. I pray, Father God, help them to put on the breastplate of righteousness, that they will walk firm in their, in their faith with you, Lord God. And that we would pray for more than just healing from our physical illnesses, 
but that we will pray for spiritual growth for one another because that is what lasts, that is what matters. That is what matters. It doesn't mean that we can't pray for one who is sick, or one who is hurting in physical ailment. We should do that. It says that we should lay hands, we should pray for them, but let that not be the end of it. Let that not be the only focus of our prayer. As the prophecy says, look, Lord, they need you. Help them to mature in you. Mature them from the milk to the meat, Lord God. That they will not just stand in the current state that they're in. That they would look to grow in your word, Lord God. That they would desire your word more and more. That they would not be content with where they're at, but they want more and more of you, Lord God. That's the type of prayer that, that God is wanting for us to pray for one another. And when we pray that type of prayer, oh man, what a, what a blessing how that helps us when how that helps you in your walk. You, you, many of us are where we are because people prayed for us in that way. Some of you are like, I don't know how to do that. Well, sometimes it, it requires us to, to sacrifice, to give up some things, to be inconvenienced. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If we're not inconvenienced in our walk with Christ, then I question if you're faithfully walking with Christ. You can't walk with Christ faithfully and not be inconvenienced. You can look from Genesis to Revelations and you will be hard-pressed to find any faithful Christian or man of God who walked with God and was not inconvenienced. You can start with Abraham. You can start with Moses. You can go to Joseph. You can go to the major and the minor prophets. You can go to Elijah. You can go to Ezekiel. You can go to Isaiah. You can jump over into the New Testament. You can go to John the Baptist. You can go to Paul. You can go to Peter. You can go to anyone you want to. You, I, whoever you want to go. Job. You can name them one after one. All of them were inconvenienced in some way. And were inconvenienced not just for the fun of it, but because of our sinful nature for self. It's not like God is wanting to inconvenience us, but it's inconvenienced because we tend to want to do our own thing. But at times it may require us like Epaphras where we wake up in the morning and before get, eat, instead of getting breakfast maybe we say, look, you know what, I'm going to fast from breakfast because I know that so-and-so is really hurting or they need prayer so I'm going to just labor in prayer in the time that I normally eat my food because Lord, I know they need you spiritually. I'm going to lift them up God because I know they need you. Or you may be on your lunch break and you say, Lord God, I'm going to fast from eating lunch right now because I know there's something so much more greater than me eating my lunch right now. There's something that's more at stake than me eating my lunch right now. There's something more on the line than me eating my lunch and my breakfast right now. I need you. They need you. That's what God is calling us to do. That's, how, that's what God wants us to do for one another. That's what Jesus Christ did for you and me and he's still doing interceding for us. John chapter 17, when, he's, when he's, inter he's praying to God before the disciples, he's pouring his heart out before God the Father. God, keep them. Keep them. He's, he's, he's on the verge of being able to, being crucified. And yet he's praying for them. And that's something that should, we should be reminded of. Sometimes, if, if we're honest, a lot of times we may respond to him like, I've got I've got so many trouble and so many issues myself, it's hard for me to think about somebody else's issues. But they had issues too. A lot of times we 
look at these individuals like Tychicus and Onesimus, and we fictionalize them so that they're not real, but they had health issues as well. They lived at a time in which medicine was not as prevalent as what we live in. And you can die from a lot of things that you can't die from today. It even says that Paul, it says that he said that he, he, was, he had a thorn in his flesh, that he prayed to God three times to remove it, and said, God said, he wouldn't move it. He says, my grace is sufficient. He wouldn't remove it. We don't know exactly what that is, but we believe that maybe it was a, some type of eye ailment or something. But he was struggling with something. We know that they struggled with health issues. We know they struggled financially as well. These were Christians who, these were believers who were following Christ at a time when it was not popular. And their economic uh, well-being was, was at stake. They're, 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 they were, were under persecution at times, and they had to, to flee to different places at times, and things that were taking place. And we, so we know that they were also impacted financially as well and economically. They were having hardships. They experienced natural calamities as well, earthquakes. Right after this letter was written to the Church of Colossae, it says that there was an earthquake in the area of Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. So they had struggles too. But that is what is so glorious about God and what he does in his people is he, he, he leads us to not focus on ourselves, but to focus on one another, to give him glory. That is part of trusting in the Lord is being able to pray for others even when we're going to hardship ourselves. We cast our cares before the Lord because we know he cares for us and we're like, Lord, we, I know you got it. And, I, and I, I, I'm praying that you will deliver me or that you would heal me or that you would help me in this way. But also, Lord God, I, I'm having concern for my brother and sister in Christ over here as well. They need you. So we see that we're to let our life be an example by fighting for one another in prayer. Are you fighting for your brother and sister in Christ? Not only we're to let our life live our life by an example by doing that, but we're also to let our life be an example by being in community with one another. Like, oh, well, we've heard community groups, but look at verse 15. It says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So Paul says, give my greetings to those in Laodicea, which was about 10 miles from Colossae. And he says, also give greetings to Nympha and the church that meets in her house as well. We got C groups taking place in Nympha's house. <laughs> now, of course, they did not have church buildings at that time, so they had to, for, they had to, to worship and to, 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 to uh, study and to, to hear God's word and dwell amongst one another in one's house. But there had to have been a sense of true community. If anyone has been doing community and is in community groups, you know that you really, as you get to know one another more and more, uh, you get that just there's a certain concern about that individual. You get to know more about what's going on in their life. And it's not an out of sight, out of mind type of thing. You can, they're always on your mind because they're in your group. But I pray that we will look at it as more than just C groups. This is the church meeting in her house. The church meets in Gwen Jackson's house on Monday. The church meets in Jared Lafitte's house on Monday. The church meets in Nate Bishop's house on Tuesday. 
the church, Forest Baptist Church, meets in one another's house. And that's what community does. And that's what uh, the, the blessing of community, I can see just them doing community. And the question is, are we doing community as well? Are we seeking to, to get to know one another? And, and we, it's difficult to do these other things to, not that it's impossible, but how can you really serve one another and to, to share one another's burdens and to, to fight for one another in prayer if we're not being around one another, if we're not in community? That's what God is calling us to do. I can imagine the church in Nympha's house reading the, 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 the letter that we're reading now. They read the, the letter from Paul to Colossians. I can imagine them discussing his word in her house. And them going over just, just verse 15 where they're saying he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible. I can imagine them discussing this and saying, truly, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. I can imagine them discussing and, and re reviewing the other things that Paul wrote in this letter, encouraging them to, to continue to be rooted to, and, and built up in him and established in the faith, just as they had received or were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's what community does. We share God's word, and that's what Paul is encouraging them to do. He says, share my word with those in Laodicea. And the letter that I wrote to Laodiceans, I want you, to, you guys to, to read it as well. Sharing God's word. If we're going to grow, if we're going to grow to a point at which we're going to sacrifice ourselves and live for more than just ourselves, it's going to require that we be in God's word in community with one another. And that's what we see here with these individuals. Ironically, the same church here that's mentioned, Laodicea, this was a church that was rebuked by Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 3 for being lukewarm. Jesus Christ says, since you're neither hot nor cold, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. This is the same church that read Colossians, the, the letter from Paul. The same church. I believe the church in Colossae, they read it, they probably made a copy of it, and they sent it to the church in, in Laodicea, as Paul had instructed. But yet they were lukewarm. They were not hot, they were not cold. And that's a warning to us in that we can be lukewarm just as, we can read God's word just as the Laodiceans did, and we can just continue to go through the motions. Right? We can, can kind of go through the motions, right? It's easy for us sometimes to just go through the motions. And when we're not focused on others, when we're not focused on serving others or sharing one another's burdens or fighting for one another in prayer, then a lot of times we can just kind of go through the motions. And then before long, we're lukewarm. And Jesus Christ, it says that he doesn't, he, he's not pleased with lukewarm living. He's not pleased with lukewarm living. God is using you and me to share his grace to others, to touch the lives of other people. We're the extension of Jesus Christ. He uses and works through the church. He works through you and me to impact and to make a difference in the life of others as well. That's what he's calling us to do, and that's what happens in community. When Christ is no longer our motivation and we lose sight of what he has called us to do or how Jesus Christ is calling us to live our lives, then we will either be lukewarm or we will fall away altogether. When Christ is no longer the motivation and we lose sight of how he's calling us to live, 
then we are liable to live a lukewarm life or fall away altogether. And we see that's what happens to Demas. Demas, in chapter 15, in verse 15, it says, 14, it says, Luke the beloved physician. We know Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, Dr. Luke. It says, greets you, and he says, so does Demas. Now, Demas, he looks like he was doing good here, but in 2 Timothy, Paul says that I'm all alone. The only ones here with me is Luke. He says, because Demas has deserted me. And specifically, he says that he, he left him alone, and he says he deserted him because of his love for the present world. There is the self-centeredness back up again, where Demas was so concerned just for himself and the present world that he left Paul hanging at a time when he needed him the most. Are we leaving others who need us hanging? Are we leaving those who need us the most at a time in which it's crucial and critical? Are we leaving them alone? Or are we being there walking side by side with them? And I'm here to tell you that unless we allow ourselves to be used by Christ, surrendering ourselves to Christ, to die to ourselves, then we can't be used by him to serve someone else, to share one another's burdens, to fight for one another in prayer. The truth is we all mess up. We all mess up. We all fall short. And Mark is an example of that. Mark is an example of, of us falling short. But look at what Mark did. Mark refocused his attention and he wrote the gospel. So that's hope for anyone who is struggling and living for more than just themselves is that if we just repent, if we turn around, if we, if we turn to Jesus Christ, there is an opportunity for us to now live for more than just ourselves and to do something that brings glory to God and not ourselves. There's still an opportunity for us to live for Jesus Christ. He's not looking for good people. He's not looking for the most talented people or the perfect people. He's looking for those who who are putting their faith in him, that he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That's who he's looking for, the faithful. Lord, I, I don't know what my gift is, my spiritual gift, but I want to serve. Use me, Lord. Use me. Help me to surrender myself to you, that you would be glorified. So that just like Tychicus and Onesimus, serve God and that they serve the church by building them up that what we do will live on beyond what, what than, than our life. It'll, it'll far surpass the years of our life. And I pray that you will surrender your life to Jesus Christ completely so that you would live on mission for him and allow him to use you to build others up, to benefit others more than ourselves to live different and to reject the self-centered living that is prevalent in our world today that focuses just on self. And that's something that we got to fight to do because it's so easy because of the sinful nature in us to want it, want things our way. But I pray that we would move beyond that and we would see that God is so much worth living for. God is so much worth sacrificing for. God is so much worth losing what we have here so that we would gain everything when we dwell with him in heaven. I hope that we will see that God is so worth 
all that we give up because he's going to give us so much. He's already given us so much more. I pray that we would be so moved to give of our lives completely to him and not cling on to the things of this world. But that we would know because he gave everything for us, we would give everything for him. And doing it just because he's worthy. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, glory and honor belong to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the ultimate example of how to serve one another. We thank you for the ultimate example of how to share one another's burdens, of how to fight for one another in prayer, how to be in community. Because after all, these are all the things, Lord Jesus, that you did for us, that you are still doing, that you chose to dwell with us in community, that you chose to dwell amongst us as sinners so that we would have a relationship with you, Lord God. I pray, Father, that you would, your message would resonate in the hearts of your people, that, Father, you would move us beyond the shallow, self-centered living that we sometimes are prone to do, and that you would move us to live for so much more than just ourselves, but to live for you who gave everything for us. We thank you, Lord God, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We give you all the glory in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.